players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Chain Lightning, Fire Blast, Flame Rift, and many others, some of which aren't even red. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live, Bosch and Roll on YouTube, The Ribbon University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, whatever time it is for you, welcome to another episode of Eternal Glory. This is episode 20, which we've dubbed the Flourishing Metagame because, well, we couldn't come up with a better name. And we want to talk about Carpet of Flowers, as well as some awesome new decks that are seeing play in the Legacy. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are you all doing tonight? Hold the fucking phone, Phil. What's wrong with the title I came up with? Listen, everyone, uh, so... I'll be the voice of reason here. Phil came up with an absurd title that was like four and a half pages long that Bryant nixed and came up with a terrible title that uh, we <laughs> we met in the middle with this this passable one. So nobody's happy, which is the sign of a good compromise. So everyone's doing great. Happy to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, like I mentioned last uh, episode, I thought that supporting local comic book shops in this time where they're probably not getting a lot of money would be a nice thing to do. So I actually uh, gave $130 to a local comic book shop. They even delivered the comic book so I wouldn't have to go. It was terrific. Got a lot of image and DC comic books. I don't read much Marvel, but I've only read one of them, Oblivion Song. I love that series. Uh, check it out. It's pretty great. Been watching anything fun to pass the time? Uh, yeah, I binged all of Tiger King yesterday, and uh, I was hooked on uh, season three of Ozark. I watched it all in one day. I am watching the exact same things. I, I beasted through Tiger King, and I'm like six or seven episodes into Ozark right now. And I appreciate Netflix dropping the fire when we're all stuck at home right now. Let me tell you, Ozark only gets better. Yeah, uh, I, I'm really excited that uh, Ruth Langmore is just on a tear this season like uh, i'm not there's no spoilers like i'm not even done i there's not much i can spoil but like in season one of ozark i was like ruth langmore is the new boyd crowder and i need a good gangster like a hillbilly gangster in my life and i'm really glad that ruth is stepping up into that that role for me since uh justified went off the air a few years ago uh in college i i don't even know if i want to tell this story i ended up in a police station and when I was released, I ended up talking to one of the cops about Justified while drunk for about an hour. It was <laughs> yeah, terrific. that show's great. Um, but so something that drove me crazy this week is I ordered two signed baseballs. I have like 16 signed baseballs on my desk and I wanted a couple more. I figured like with the economy dropping, I'd pick up a couple from eBay, whatever. I found a few that were really good prices. Uh, one of them was like literally $22 shipped for like a reasonably hard to get ball. What's a good price for a signed baseball? I, I, I have no no connection to this market. Give us some scale. So 
uh, I get a signed baseball every year from my fiance for my birthday, and she usually spends about one fifty for a uh, reasonably high tiered ball. This ball I got for twenty two dollars from a guy that was like a three time All Star. So like what is Series what is the high tier? Is it like the quality of the ball or the quality of the sig or like who signed it? All of the above. The signature right. and the are any of these game balls or are they like fresh out of the box signed? The one that I oh, bought is actually a game ball, which I you I don't have too many game balls. This will be my third, uh, but it came packaged super well, and I was really excited about it. And then the other one that I actually spent slightly more on was $35 shipped. This is not an exaggeration. Came in a hefty <laughs> Ziploc bag with a printing ship with a like a printing label on it. And I was like, what? And I messaged the person through eBay and they're just like, yeah, this is how I do my business. He's like, I ship, I've shipped over 200 signed baseballs. No one's ever complained. Wow. But it doesn't mean... Brian, do you understand that, that this object is meant to be hurled at 70 miles an hour, then hit with a stick? It's going to be okay. I don't know. I'm not happy about it. But uh, like Phil, I can see Phil's scruffy beard. I've got a really bad quarantine beard going on right now. Uh, then I probably need a haircut. I'm getting really close yeah, to letting him. He's so much fuzzier than I've ever seen him. Just want to go up and like pet him. Oh, I don't. I want to run away. <laughs> uh, I'm in the opposite. My uh, My work, finally, after spending two weeks getting the gears turning is at least somewhat operational uh, in its online capacity. So I, I've been getting seen by my coworkers this week for the first time, and I had to like trim everything up. So uh, I, I have the opposite of a quarantine beard. I have a working on camera trim. I record looking like this. I usually have a blanket draped over me too. I've, I've embraced the comfort I mean, I haven't worn anything except a hoodie and PJ pants in three weeks, so I'm also embracing the comfort, but I am not comfortable when I look raggedy. So uh, that it, self-care means things to different people. It's all good. Phil, you have a pretty like special stream coming up, right? Uh, I do. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm streaming with Rich Callie this weekend, who recently took down the super preliminary or whatever they're calling it these days uh, with Rug Delver. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that because, like, I am so not a Delver person. I totally respect it as an archetype. I think it's usually one of the best things you can be doing, but it's just not my style. So I'm really looking forward to having, like, guidance from someone who is just at the top of their class. Rich Kelly also top-aided the uh, 323 Legacy Challenge. So it was back-to-back -back large finishes for Rich, who's a very skilled player. I actually faced Rich at a, a Star City Classic in Syracuse. We both lost round one, and I sat across from Rich round two, and I said, Rich, beat me so I can go home. And he's like, I kind of want to go home myself. I get home, <laughs> spend the rest of the day doing whatever, and at night I checked, and Rich actually took down the whole event. So unfortunately, Rich had to stay and play out the rest of that, but that Rich is a very skilled wizard. Yeah, it sucks for Rich that he had to be there all day. <laughs> Um, otherwise, on my end, things are going pretty well. I've been doing a lot of side magic stuff. Um, I had two tutoring sessions this week. I did a death and taxes tutoring session with someone. And then I helped someone with kind of like a deck doctor type scenario. They were working with sort of a 12 post brew that they wanted uh, some help with. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And I also had a lot of fun playing a Storm Herald deck. 
So that's the 3-2 haste that lets you bring back an enchantment from your graveyard when you cast it. So I was trying to build my own Eldrazi using Eldrazi Conscription and this little thing. And it was super hilarious. Beat uh, TES a few times. You know, deck's not good or anything. We certainly won't have an entire section in our podcast today about how good that deck is since it loses to Storm Herald. Yeah, I mean, that's an important part of the metagame. Stompy is uh, crushing things, and uh, Storm Herald is a three-drop threat. Anything is live at this point. Um, that one's on YouTube if anyone wants to have a good time and, uh, and and some hilarious laughs. I put an Eldrazi conscription on a Grizzlebrand, if that gives you anything about like the shenanigans that is that stream. So if we're done with TES digs, maybe we can get into the feedback section. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I have some updates still I want to talk about. So, uh, I was running out of things to do last week. Like, I mean, I have magic online, so there's always something to do. But I was like, what else can I do in in my home? And a lot of my friends talk about video games a lot, which is not a thing that I'm super into. But, like, I I have certainly played video games in my life and I like them. But I'm not, like, a gamer, video gamer, as it were. So I was going to buy a Switch. But then I realized that, remember that Eureka I talked about in the last cast that I just, like, tilt-bought to, like, make sure I could play Omnitel in real life? That cost the same amount as a Switch. So I didn't... <laughs> I, I So that money was gone. But I did have a shocking realization that the, uh, the like, high-end gaming laptop I purchased just earlier this year to record Magic Online leagues with can also play games. Uh, to my shock so uh and i learned that a lot of games that i really like are available on pcs so as someone who's literally never in my life been a pc gamer i'm now a pc gamer Uh, i'm about 50 hours into borderlands and i've had the game for eight days so uh we're we're doing it over here hashtag just quarantine things yep i put in a week of work in uh on pandora and neighboring planets I've been resisting the urge to buy Animal Crossing. I'm trying to use this time as a way to like get through my game queue, which has been slowly growing since Christmas. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do some damage there and then uh, then move on to total addiction. Yeah, that's smart. Uh, a lot of my friends, I, I just see like the stacks of unopened games that are like sixty bucks each or whatever a game costs these days, just like still shrink wrapped on their on their desk and like. They're they're playing the new game, and the ones that are still in the wrappers are like three games ago, and you know they're never going to do it. Like games these days are all like open world, and there's so much to do, and like uh, you're you're never going to like put down a new game for an old game once you're in the world. I also have an addiction to roguelites, so that's a problem in terms of playing other games. And I have like I don't know, probably between four hundred and six hundred hours into Binding of Isaac. And, like, Dead Cells and Slay the Spires have very high numbers as well. So, they're so good. All right, so let's let's talk about feedback. <laughs> All right, so the first uh, bit of feedback is from Chris Glade in the Leaving a Legacy Facebook group. 10 out of 10 can relate to the fact that every agency I've worked for tests emails for Aleph 2003 because some dumb margin of the populace still uses it. I only included this because I was so happy that someone else experiences my pain at work. 
Um, so thank you for being someone else that works in email web marketing, Chris. I appreciate yeah. you. I got to jump in on this. Like the, the technology things that I've seen out of my coworkers the past few days that we've been working online again. Oh my God. Like the people who you think are smart, you're just like, why can't you figure this out? Like we have to use doxy.me, which is like a medical uh, telehealth platform because we work in a HIPAA and FERPA with a special ed. So everything has to be locked up tight. And the way you use doxy.me is that like the practitioner who is me has a waiting room and you send a link and they click the link and they just pop into your waiting room. That's it. That's all you have to do as the client click the link. And we have so many people who just cannot navigate this. Like I've had so many meetings just push back like 10, 15 minutes. They're like, oh, I can't figure it out. Can we use Zoom instead? It's like, no, we can't because Zoom isn't FERPA compliant. So literally, no, you need to figure out how to click this link. And it's insane. It's insane. I don't know how anyone is alive. We have a lot of people out there in the world who are sort of being thrown into the deep end of the swimming pool for the first time and just like being forced to learn things that they've never had to do before. Right. And if you're one of those people, good luck. Right. And and you like get to see this like other side of your coworkers where they're communicating via text for the first time. We're in like group chats and stuff on like uh uh Microsoft Teams is like the platform we're using and everyone's in a group text. So like people this person who you thought was reasonable, you see ending every sentence with like four punctuation marks. They're just like exclamation, 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 exclamation. And it's like, bro, <laughs> like, okay. It's like, yeah, I can be ready at three, four exclamation points. <laughs> How excited are you for this meeting? Just chill out. So the next one we got was from Kenseo 85 on Reddit, who said, it was really interesting to hear your description of the Corona situation in the U.S. right now. Reminded me a lot of how we treated the situation in Europe last month, but now even talking about potential upcoming local events would be unheard of here. We just declared a lockdown for anything non-essential and work with police checking on why you are outside. So friend, we're just catching up to you now. Um, that's what's starting to happen here. Um, I know Virginia is in uh, effectively lockdown until I think June 10th. Um, things in North Carolina have slowed down until, um, at least the end of next month as of right now. How are things where you two are at? Uh, so, uh, we're, we are on like shelter in place, but it's, we don't quite have the cops checking everyone where they're going. Like we're still allowed to be outside, like just taking walks for exercises and stuff. We don't like need a real reason to be outside, but I was at the park this weekend and it was like a beautiful, sunny 70 degree day. It was like the, the first glimpse of spring and like the park was just packed and the there were cops rolling around just like checking on groups, making sure they weren't mingling too closely. Like we saw this one group of just these like Yinzer boomers who there were like four trucks, like all in pickup trucks. They had like parked all along the end of the parking lot. And each like family pod of like three to five people were sitting right behind their own truck and like with like one parking space in between each of the trucks. And there were clearly four families hanging out here. They were all talking to each other. They all had lawn chairs. But like, I guess like the space of one parking space is like enough for them to tell the cop, no, we're not having a gathering. Like, I, I don't know. It seemed kind of weird. There was also a like 
20-person basketball game, like a full five-on-five. Both teams had a deep bench, and I don't think all those dudes live together. I I just don't believe it. So uh, where was the cop on that one? So either the cop just didn't see that occurring, or we're not at, like, you guys seriously need to disperse level yet. But it, it horrified me to walk past it. My favorite one was the the Florida church, the mega church that held a service this weekend with a thousand plus people in there. Um, I believe the pastor was arrested for holding that. So people are really starting to crack down and take the situation seriously, which I really, really appreciate. Yeah, I read uh, that there's a woman that might uh, do prison time because she knew she had coronavirus and flew back to China from Massachusetts. So it's definitely starting to get more strict up here. Uh, Locally to me, a lot of people are starting to freak out because using like the local subreddit for Syracuse, it's being discovered that uh, like Wegman's employees are found having coronavirus or Lowe's employees. Like if you go to an essential place at some point during this pandemic, someone will, you know, obtain coronavirus because at some point, people that have the disease need to eat and they have to go to Wegmans or someone they know has to go to Wegmans and they're coming in somewhat close contact with the person with the virus. So, like, at some point, grocery stores are just, like, the worst possible place to be because everyone has to go to them eventually. So, I'm not shocked that a Wegmans employee ended up having it. Uh, that said, we're trying to only go grocery shopping every two to three weeks. We've gone once uh, like two weeks ago, and we can probably still go like another yeah, week and we a just half. Went to the store tonight, and we're good for two weeks or so. Yeah, I'm trying to like plan out meals in advance, which is not a thing that I normally do. I normally have like base foods, like I'll just have like ten pounds of chicken, five pounds of beef, you know, a bunch of pasta, like whatever, like the bases, the rice, the beans, and then like on a night by night basis, I'll just swing by the store for whatever spices I need to make the version of chicken I want that night. And that's obviously not a tenable lifestyle. Uh, I also eat a lot of fresh produce, like fruits and vegetables I'm really into. And it sucks that you have to like buy ones that are going to last a little longer or just go without for a few days at a time because you can't swing by the store every three days for your fresh vegetables. And that sucks, but like I'm adjusted to it. But uh, it's definitely a, a lifestyle change. And when I do go to the grocery store, uh, the store provides like, uh sanitizer wipes to wipe down your cart before you go in i just take like three of them and i put it along the entire like uh handle of the cart like putting down like toilet paper around a toilet seat in public and i just leave it there for the duration of my time and every time i touch anything i just re-wipe my hands and uh, i don't really have skin left on my hands at the end of any given grocery trip but i'm fairly confident i don't have the coronavirus so that's nice Another bit of feedback we got was, was lame that Phil got brushed off regarding Spell Pierce and Blue Green Omnitel, as he was correct, and it's not just a fringe card or an old metagame card, a quick glance at MTG Top 8 shows it, from Eltron on Reddit. Um, well, I disagree. Uh, for one, MTG Top 8 is not a reliable source for results, in my opinion. Uh, while they do have some paper events and not just online events, because, you know, they include everything. They also count like eight-man locals and smaller events, which I feel like isn't really worth sharing to, you know, the larger metagame share. Because, like, 
who's to say my local eight person event isn't for goblin players and all of a sudden I win every week by playing humility or something. Um, so I don't personally think MTG top eight is that reliable. I think goldfish is a much better indicator of what the actual metagame looks like. And if you look at MTG uh, goldfish, the last like eight results, there's zero spell pierce. And then there's a couple that do contain spell pierce, but it's like a one of. So I would consider that to be fringe. Uh, it's not stock by any means, in my opinion. I don't know if the two of you have anything to say on this. Uh, I would like to confirm we were completely right in brushing off the um, <laughs> So one of the most recent deck lists was Callum Smith's deck list. He top 16 with the deck in one of the events that we're going to talk about later today. I forget which one. Um, and he indeed did not have spell pierce. So like, it's definitely something that should be on your radar. And if you have the possibility of like playing around a spell pierce at a critical moment, maybe do so. But, you know, maybe don't be playing around it every game. That's a very fair take on that, Phil. I think Delver's going to have a rough time when Euro picks up in play from Robin. Um, I can't say his last name. Svenskin. I'm not, I'm not Russian. I can't do this. What is it? Svensson. Svensson. You're working too hard. All Two right. syllables. Well, Svensson. I was in the Leaving a Legacy group. Thank you for responding, Robin. I actually tend to agree with you. Uh, it's weird because, like, Delver's by far the best deck in Legacy right now. Rug Delver is everywhere. Um, but I think as the metagame shapes out, like, we're still adjusting to the breach banning. And I think anyone that would disagree is a little bit silly. And I think as it shakes out, we're going to return to more four-color pile decks. I see these bigger decks becoming more and more popular as there's more tools being printed to beat Delver. Uh, the new Titan deck is a good example of like a big deck that goes over both the four-color decks and can beat Delver pretty well. Um, but I also expect to see more decks like what Anurag has been playing on stream. The four-color pile decks without red have been picking up, and those tend to crush Delver. Um, I don't really know what else to say there. I know that we're going to talk about Carpet of Flowers, which is a pretty effective card against Delver of Secrets, and that's been picking up recently. While Delver might lose metagame uh, percentages, I don't think Delver will ever go away or be a bad choice to play. It's just not going to continue to be by far the best deck, I think. It's just going to be, you know, low tier one, mid tier one, that sort of thing. Has Delver even been considered a tier 2 deck since its printing? I don't think it has been. I think there was a point right before the Narset Karn printing, uh, before War of the Spark, before Dreadhorde came out, where its metagame share was in an all-time low. So, so what is that, like 7%? <laughs> I'm, I, I don't, I'd have to go back and look, but I remember it just being like an incredibly small amount to the point where I cut all the extra sideboard empties from my board because I didn't have to respect Delver anymore. Yeah, but all in all, that should be very telling that like Delver is good, has been good, will probably always be good until the power creep prints something better than Delver. Delver is an atrocity. Uh, Blue should not have had the most aggressive creature printed of all time. Can we just take a moment of silence for Leovold not being, you know, like an Abzan card? Thank you. Also, Snapcaster Mage probably should have been red since it's literally just recoup. I don't know. It, if, if I were Tiago Saparito and I won the Magic Invitational and they made a Magic card for me and they made it a red card, I would be furious. 
Like if if like if that was me, if I was just on that card and I gave the text and I was like two one flash, give something flashback blue and they're like, OK, but it's red. Everything else passes. It's like, nope, no deal. Don't put my face on that card. To be honest, if Snapcaster was red, I think it would still see play. Well, there there is the uh, the pirate fella who has seen some play at least as far back as modern i don't know if it's cracked into legacy yet uh robert the, uh, the dire, dire feet right? no uh dire fleet daredevil oh that I one is yep. the yeah i've played yeah, more of that trade. card than i care to admit <laughs> yeah it's a very fill card ouch i do know that it was seeing some uh humans play for a little bit yeah it's dope in humans i viled it in and cast cryptic command out of my opponent's graveyard once to win a game that was fucking nice the screenshots that you can get while playing that card are like absolute top tier juicy. Absolutely, yeah. So the last bit of feedback was from Zach Faden on Twitter. Thank you, Zach, for replying to us on Twitter. We greatly appreciate it. We don't usually get a whole lot there, so you're a special person. Uh, at LALMTG and at Eternal Glory Pod, really enjoy both of your casts, but two hours each is killing me even at 1.5x. And Leaving a Legacy responded with, you can always just skip ours. Zach, we agree with Leaving a Legacy. Just make sure to skip them and always listen to Eternal Glory podcast. Thank right. you. And this is eternal glory. Eternal means forever. This isn't like a little bit of glory. Like we're going to talk till we're done talking. And I appreciate your listenership. Please don't quit. But like, go, go ahead up to 2x. It'll be like three Mickey Mouses talking about legacy. And who doesn't want that? You could include your family, your kids. It's kind of like strength training, right? Like you have to you have to start out on the lower difficulties, get those small weights in, and then, then you can be ready for the real thing. Well, what we needed to be doing is recording it at 2x. Like we just talk twice as fast as we normally would. So then when they listen to 2x, it's actually four. And then it's only like 15 minutes long. And you get all the same information. It's like steroids for your brain. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We'll do that next week. <laughs> Stick around. All right. Um, so I suppose we should actually get to the meat and bones of this podcast. Um, uh, fine. If, if we have to. Um, so the first thing we want to talk about today is sort of a love letter to both TES and Carpet of Flowers. So I don't know. Which one of us knows the most about that deck to start things off? That would be me. All right, go for uh, it. Then. So, <laughs> no, uh, Bryant, go ahead. Take it away. First, I would like an apology from Phil for his prior comments about the Epic Storm to kick off this show. Phil, I'll be waiting. Uh, really, though, I finally got back into playing Magic Online. Like I mentioned in the previous episode, I was doing a lot of, like, uh, office remodeling and stuff like that. But recently, I've really been back into creating YouTube content. I know Brian does that quite a bit as well. Uh, in the last few weeks, I've uploaded two uh, complete leagues to YouTube, my Legacy Super Choir Qualifier and a Legacy Challenge. So four events pretty much have all gone up on YouTube. And uh, I've been running the Epic Storm version 9.6 in these videos. It's been incredible. I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, I know that my results in those events weren't exactly stellar, but let me get to my full point and maybe you'll agree. Maybe you think it's bad. I don't really care. Uh, but the big thing about this list is that it, it's had a very improved Delver of Secrets matchup compared to the pre-Breach uh, Epic Storm. Back then I was running pretty hot at 
over 70% for about 110 matchups. And recently, it's been even better with this newer list. So I'm 15-3 and three against Delver Variants with 9.6. Uh, to put it in perspective, the pre-breach slash early breach era, I was 60-61, and 61, which is about 500. Um, the big difference maker here, as Phil alluded to, would be Carpet of Flowers. I know Phil also loves this card. I was very skeptical at first, and Alex McKinley sort of just like browbeated me into trying this card again, because I tried it for a few leagues, wasn't super impressed, and then Alex really pushed me to keep on trying this card because his results were so good. And sure enough, Carpet really impressed me after I continued to play it against Delver decks. Uh, it allows you to play through their soft counter spells, so Daze, Pierce, and Fluster, which means that they really only have six meaningful cards in their deck, usually about four Force of Will and two Force of Negation. So once you negate those softer counters, you can really start to pressure the Delver deck because they no longer have this um, position on top of a hill against you. It's much more of a fair fight where you're probably even ahead. And you can cast Echo of Aeons the hard way, from lands in your carpet trigger or your ad nauseum. Uh, carpet of Flowers also fixes your mana. So instead of fetching for a basic island that you can't use the cast Rite of Flame or Dark Ritual or even Veil of Summer, Carpet does it all. And an important thing here is that Carpet of Flowers is not an artifact. It's an enchantment. So it doesn't get hit by uh, Collector Oof or Norod. It helps cast uh, Abrupt Decay and Empty the Wardens through those cards, which is Probably its biggest advantage to me is that your opponent plays these haymakers that shut off your entire deck and all of a sudden you have the mana to answer them. I just want to cut in for a second and say how good enchantments are. Um, this is something that I've been a big believer in for, I don't know, maybe three to five months now. And it's so difficult for a lot of decks to actually answer enchantments. So things like choke, a lot of times once they hit play, they're just there. And a lot of times your opponents aren't prepared to deal with them. And I think that's a huge advantage for TES here. Yeah, I can, I'll can. i I'll, uh, go a little deeper from the blue side. From the one, the side of the person who's usually trying to find the answer to the choke, uh, I'll usually have like zero to three answers in my deck for something like choke. Uh, like uh, if, if I'm on miracles, I might have a council's judgment. Uh, I, I might have boarded in a disenchant. I've played unexpectedly absent in my life. Uh, I don't think it's good anymore, but like, you know, you usually have like some white card that can answer it, but that's about it. And like, if, if it's a deck that's also pressuring your mana, uh, I know Phil's a fan of Rashad and Port and Wasteland and Blood Moon and all of that horse shit, uh, Trinosphere. So uh, it, if like, if you have like two planes in your deck, two basic planes, and you're choked, and one of them gets ghost quartered, uh, you can't counsel judgment anymore. It's just gone. So like, uh, the enchantments are serious business, and they they need to be respected. While we're on the topic, uh, I was going to get to this in a second, but Carpet of Flowers being an enchantment enchantment means it's not hit by Oko Thief of Crowns, which is one of the biggest reasons to play the card. Uh, it's actually very similar to. You'll notice right now a lot of blue decks are picking up Sylvan Library for a very similar reason as Carpet of Flowers. It's just really difficult to answer enchantments right now. But the difference between Carpet of Flowers and Sylvan Library is effects like Oko and Uro right now create accidental life gain or beneficial life gain from a card from cards that probably didn't need it. So with Sylvan Library, you can pay it life, pay it life, then start to gain that life back 
and then later on in the game get an extra card from the Sylvan Library once again. So it's a little interesting if you look at how Power Creep works with older cards like Sylvan Library. And, you know, plus being an enchantment, it's very difficult to answer. I think it creates uh, something we haven't seen in a very long time. Uh, as follow-up there, do you know how bad it feels to source to Plowshare and Uro when they have a Sylvan Library in play? Wow, that's like casting Divination targeting them. It's so bad. And it's one of the only ways to get rid of that bugger forever, too. Like, he just keeps coming back from the graveyard if you give them time. So you're like, alright, I'll exile him. You know what feels even worse? If that Uro attacks every turn. So... Uh, you did a good job exiling it, but but yeah, that that's the classic Swords to Plowshares isn't always free. Like, like when you, like, Swords to Plowshares or turn two Merit Lage or whatever, it's like, all right, I'm not dead, but you're at 40 shit. <laughs> Time to start figuring this I'll out. I'll attack for two. You're a go. <laughs> so yes. previously, Path to Exile would have been, like, the answer there, but nowadays with Astrolabe, everyone's running tons of basics because they want to be able to play their mana fixer. So Path isn't even good anymore. Yeah, and, and like Jace the Mind Sculptor and Monastery Mentor also largely don't care about life totals. Like Monastery Mentor can't kill like literal infinite, but it can kill an extremely large amount. Like like I've plowed three Merit Lages in a game then just killed my opponent from 80 with a Mentor once the coast was clear. Like that's not a big deal. And like Jace the Mind Sculptor doesn't care at all about their life total, obviously. So the, the blue decks, if they're built correctly, can still win. Uh, you'd have to have a pretty big Entreat the Angels to kill an opponent from 80, but it can be done, especially with Mystic Sanctuary, just firing it back in every turn, more and more Angels. So uh, it's worth the cost, but it does feel bad sometimes, real bad. But Carpet of Flowers feels real good, and it's kind of my pick for one of the most underplayed cards in Legacy right now, relative to how good I think it is. I think way more decks should be jamming it in than they are. I've been super impressed on the, like, green mid-range side of things. Um, Bryant's been impressed on the combo side. I forget which pilot it was, but, like, right before I went live to start recording this, I saw one of the Ant players posting that they had Carpet of, side, carpet of Flowers in their sideboard as well. It's also in the blue-green Omni deck. Yeah, like, my my opinion of that card in the past couple months, like, when uh, Bant Miracles won that GP in Europe, uh, it had a copy of Carpet of Flowers in the board, and I was like, that's weird, I'm cutting that immediately when I try this deck. And then, over the last couple months, the more I play with and against the card, I'm just like, okay, I do want that. I think I want two. Why don't I just have four in this, this Omnitel deck? Like, they, that card is just so dumb. And it, it's just, like... Uh, a couple months ago also, like, my opponent would cast a Carpet of Flowers, and it's like, well, do I force well that? I don't think so. And then two turns later, I just absolutely die because of Carpet of Flowers. Like, there's no... I can't dance around everything they're doing with my Force of Will because they have so much more mana than me. Like, it's a it's a fair blue Mirror Breaker. It's a... It lets combo jump ahead of the blue decks on resources. Like, it, it does so much. Like, it's just been hiding there in Magic the Gathering since Urza Saga. And it's suddenly being respected from the blue green omni side is it's interesting the fact that if you're somehow your uh, your show and tells get surgical you're able to hard cast your aggressive brands and omniscience and i think that's a secret mode that a lot of people don't understand is like you're not actually dead when you're 
Shontals get surgical, which is a pretty huge deal. I know that you're playing the Eurekas, but not everyone opts to play them for some reason. And it's just another backdoor to doing that. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, Nick Cummings, he's been working on uh, various show-and-tell Omni decks, whether they're good or bad, for years. And he's on a bug build, and he has one Cabal Ritual in his wish board, like a uh, cunning wish for Cabal Ritual to cast Grizzlebrand in case you need to do that. And like, that sounds a lot harder than just putting Carpet of Flowers into play. Like, uh, you, you don't have to add black to your deck, and you uh, get this card that's good sometime, good most of the time instead of only good in that one weird situation. Yeah. So, uh, going back to the previous episode, I mentioned how I was testing a sideboard land, and I like saw that it slightly improved my Delver matchup. Slightly improved might have been like 8% to a couple percent, maybe. Uh the Carpet of Flowers has dramatically improved my Delver matchup to the point where I thought I was unfavored to now I think I'm favored against Delver decks. And I think part of that is Carpet of Flowers, like Brian mentioned, really changes how games are played from the Delver Secret side. So they either have to Force of Will it on turn one, or they start Force of Willing, because like the way that current uh, TS is built is that you can just run out Wishclaw Talismans and Burning Wish and empty the Warrens and Carpets, and eventually you're going to run them, because your deck is so bomb-heavy now, that they're going to run out of hard counters for your bombs. And that's, like, you're pretty much overloading them be- until they have, like, a Termoglyph that you don't care about in their hand. Or they have, like, the wrong counter spell. For example, Spell Snare's been picking up, but Spell Snare doesn't counter Carpet. It doesn't counter Echo of Aeons or Empty the Warrens or Ad Nauseam. So... You just find what they have, and then you beat it with something else. And also, like none of these cards get hit by Pyroblast or Red Elemental Blast, which almost everyone boards in. So that's one way that Carpet beats Delver decks. The other way is by it creates a free Mox every turn, or a Soul Ring, or a Black Lotus every single turn against the deck full of the soft counter magic, like I mentioned. And you just get so far ahead on mana that you're able to punish them pretty badly. And a lot of Delver players will just sit there with fetch lands in play. But if the Delver deck's not playing threats, you're winning that game anyway. Because they're a tempo-based deck, and if the tempo deck isn't applying pressure, it's going to crumble eventually if you just don't cave first. Um, More, I don't know if you guys have anything to add on there. I do. Um, I don't think it's just Delver, though. I think Carpet of Flowers changes the texture of basically any blue matchup. So you get to drop your hate cards earlier if it's a blue combo deck. You get to improve the speed of cards like Green Sun Zenith, and you get to accelerate something out like a Collector Oof or a Primeval Titan even out sooner than you normally would. You get to use mana sinks like Clues from Tireless Tracker, and I think it just totally warps games around that card. And I'm just waiting for all of these blue mid-range Uro Oko decks to start playing Carpet of Flowers for the mirrors. Yeah, there a lot of them are already there. Uh, like in the Oko mirror, like if I have turn one carpet and you don't, that game is over. Like on, on like turn three when I get to cast my Oko with like spell pierce and a removal spell backup or whatever, and like you have to tap out for Oko on your turn, like we're done. It's over. The amount of power you get from that one card is absurd. So if we take Aether Vial as like the like maybe roughest parallel in that over time Aether Vial generates more and more and more mana, um, like mana in air quotes, 
This is a card that generates more and more mana over time, but it's actual mana that you can use for whatever you want. Yeah, no air quotes required. And, and there's no decision. It's like, all right, I'll tick my vial up to four in case I rip the palace jailer. And then you draw a recruiter that turn and you're just like, tilt. But carpet doesn't care. Like, go ahead, take a draw. Then we'll decide what we're going to do with this thing. So it's also pretty interesting that you can play it in your first main phase and then use carpet in your second main phase. And it, and it comes back to, a we- I created a section called Weird Interactions. So one of them is with uh, Leovold, Emissary of Trust. If you don't, for some reason, you choose to not use your carpet trigger in your first main phase and then go to your second main phase and trigger carpet, your opponent actually gets two Leovold triggers because it targets your opponent each phase and then Leovold will trigger and they'll draw a card. So it's actually like a little bit risky against the black-green-blue decks. Uh, But I also think like against those decks, it's interesting from a combo perspective or at least TES, because I like to board out my moxes and fast mana in that matchup and keep my right of flames and carpets and effects that get better in the long game. But at the same time, those decks often have Bayou and Basic Forest, and sometimes even like Gilded Goose or something else. So carpet isn't always reliable there, but it's still pretty good against the decks that sometimes play like Hymnatorok. So it puts you in a weird position. So it's not amazing all the time, and a second weird situation is if you're an insane person, like you have to be like Phil Gallagher level of crazy, you could technically side it in against the Titan deck because with Dryad, all their lands become islands and then you're going to trigger your carpet and get like eight blue mana on turn four. All, all I'm going to say, Bryant, is that I have a note here on my desk that says that exact thing from when I thought of that previously. So, guilty as charged. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, don't be like the person from the Twitter screenshot this week. Do not play Dryad and then follow it up with Choke. That is not good for you. So, interesting, interesting extra layer. If you didn't look closely at that screenshot, that's not a Dryad of the Elysian Grove. That's an Elk. And the Elked Dryad still turns all your lands into every land. Uh, because of layers. I can't explain it any more than that. It's one of those because that's how it is things. But if you turn an elk, or if you turn Dryad of the Elysian Grove into an elk, your opponent can't play two lands anymore, but they do still have the prismatic lands. Like everything is. Is it the same with Magus? Yes. If you elk a Magus of the Moon, things are still mountains. Sorry. So Phil put a note here. Is it time to revisit Enchantress? I know that the two of you talked about Enchantress last week. I will be playing it on stream twice, either next week or the following week. Uh, multiple people have donated to see it, kind of thinking the same thing that I have. I think enchantments are super well positioned. Um, I know Julian played a few leagues with Enchantress. He was trying out a really interesting build that had Chrome Moxes to try and like bridge the early turns of the deck because... like. Before you get an Enchantress into play, you you don't do too much. And that was kind of a cool take in addition to the normal um, mana ramp. But I'm all about trying Enchantress where I just main that Carpet of Flowers, if I'm being completely honest. During the Miracles heyday, there was talk about playing Carpet main deck over Rite of Flame back during Top Miracles. We did it for a couple weeks, but Legacy is just too diverse for that to actually be good. 
I think it works in Enchantress, though, because at the worst, like, at some point in the game, it's just one green mana draw a card. And that's fine. So I have a question for you, because the Enchantress players that I know in real life, they tend to claim that they prey on blue decks. If you're already preying on non-Delver blue decks, because they've said that, like, dealing with Delver Secrets decks is actually kind of difficult because of the pressure, plus counter magic can be an issue. But traditional base blue decks, if you're already favored... Why would you want to play something like Carpet of Flowers? I think that Enchantress is often but not always favored against blue decks. It's difficult for the blue decks to interact with things that you put in play, but sometimes you just die, right? Sometimes they just have the show and tell and you die. Sometimes they have the Delver and you don't find the elephant grass to buy time and you die. Yeah, I can tell you from the blue side that playing against Enchantress, it's just like, have a counter spell ready on turn two and mentor ready on turn three, and you're going to win. Uh, and permutations of that, uh, each turn the game goes on, I think things start to tilt towards Enchantress. But if you just like have a second counter spell, you can have your mentor a turn later or whatever. But like uh, if you're able to have real pressure, like the Entreat the Angels builds are probably super dogs against Enchantress. But like if you have creatures that can actually get into play and deal damage, like Delver or Mentor. Uh, I think it's totally fine. You just have to know what matters, and you have to have it when they have it, basically. Like, if, if you make the decision, like, I'm going to tap out for this uh, counterbalance or whatever on turn two, and they then they sneak in, and in, they zenith for Enchantress the turn when you, you could have left up Spell Pierce, but you didn't, and then now Enchantress is in play, you're suddenly way behind. But, like, Keeping Enchantress out of play uh, with non-targeted removal or Force of Will, and then having real follow-up. Uh, I, I found that matchup to be largely positive, but uh, I'm sure the, every Enchantress player just turned off their iPod or whatever in disgust when I said that. Because it can totally get away. Uh, but the, I also oh, think ahead. Destiny Spinner is probably changing things as well. Yes. That card is super obnoxious, and I think it pairs very well with Carpet of Flowers. Because Carpet of Flowers gives you extra mana that you can funnel into Destiny Spinner and just get your opponent dead with. Yeah, Destiny Spinner is a huge game changer. If you can't, like, if you can't just go like a Delver or whatever, and then like daze their Enchantress's presence, you're gonna lose. Like, if they have like turn two Destiny Spinner, turn three uncounterable Enchantress's presence, you lose. The fact that the green suns are also more disgusting now because they also fetch a win condition instead of just an enchantress also gives you more of a reason to want extra mana. So the last thing on the docket for Carpet of Flowers, for me at least, is its overall impact on the Epic Storm. Uh, with my current list, version 9.6, I'm at 108 matches. I am currently 80 and 28, which is a little bit over 74%. Uh, when TS was doing super well pre-breach, when it was on the top of MTG Goldfish with version 8.5, at 110 matches, I was at a dead even 70%. So it's currently 4% better. So that means the Carpet of Flowers in my sideboard is worth roughly 4%. And I know that like metagames change and things aren't always the same, but think about the numbers that I gave you where I was 60 and 61. And then now I'm largely favored against Delver Variant so far. So... Carpet of Flowers is actually probably worth more than 4%, and then the rest of it is, like, my deck being worse against other things, but overall my win percentage has gone up 4. So, like, roughly, you're pretty lucky if you ever get 4% out of any given sideboard card, in my opinion, at least. I don't know if Brian will agree with that, but 
its overall impact cannot be like overstated enough. Like the card's just amazing. Um, and that's why I'm not letting my results from those two events that we're going to talk about in the next section really get to me. Because if you're doing well consistently, eventually you'll get big event results. All right, um, let's go ahead and use that as our pivot point then to talk about recent tournament results and kind of the way the metagame is shake, shaking up, what decks are sort of uh, moving into the spotlight now that Breach is gone. So the super preliminary, super special, awesome IQ Pro Tour, maybe it's called a Pro Tour, who knows, qualifier thing that happened recently um, was a lot of fun. We had a ton of people playing in that. Um, I played in that, and I went 6-3 with Red Prism. Um, I beat Loam and five blue decks, and I narrowly lost to Sneak and Show and Lands and got bullied by Grixis Delver once. This is not the deck that I wanted to play in the event, but um, the event happened on a work day, and I could justify taking 10 minutes to play a Red Prism match every hour and just, like, work an hour or two longer. And, like, that was totally fine by my moral compass, but I couldn't play Loam without taking the day off. That just was not reasonable for me to do, given circumstances. So, Brian, how did you do in that event? Well, I can't play in that because I, I'm i on quite an adventure here. Uh, I, I won a Grand Prix at the end of 2019, which qualified me for the first regional Pro Tour and the first Pro Tour final. And by showing up at the Pro Tour Final, I would have queued for the second Regional Pro Tour. But now the Pro Tour Final and the second Regional Pro Tour have both been canceled. And I don't know what I'm queued for anymore. Uh, Cyrus Cormangill also is a second half of 2019 GP winner, and he's been like actively harassing Magic Esports on our behalf, us being GP winners from the second half of the year. And he has told me we are we have sort of like hand wave rolling cues until the PT system is back online. So I don't think I'm allowed to play in these things. Uh, and I'm not going to risk losing all the cues that I might have by just YOLOing it. And really, I'm okay with that because I hate playing full day tournaments on Magic Online. Uh, like Phil just said, like 10 minutes every hour to blast out with Red Prison or whatever is fine. But like, that's not the kind of deck I play. Uh, I recorded the Modern Challenge last weekend with uh, Teamer Rosa, and I went the full, close to the full 50 minutes every round for nine rounds. I didn't eat for 10 hours. I was recording, so I was just talking for 10 hours. I got like six hours of video. It's a, it's a robust video. If you're interested in that, go check it out. But like, I don't want to do that ever again. Like, a, a league, like five rounds at my pace is exactly where I want to be with Magic Online. So uh, I, I don't have any results to report in these bigger tournaments because I hate them. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so I also played in the Super Preliminary Qualifying event. And uh, like Phil, I went 6-3. I lost my first round to a bad matchup. One out until the second to last round where I lost a tight match to Delver. And then I lost my last round to, I believe it was Eldrazi. Um... And, you know, those are heartbreakers being like you're 6-2 if you win, there's a good chance you top 16, and then you lose your last round. I ended up getting 20 or 33rd in the uh, Super PTQ. So, like, I didn't even get published, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, but I was in 29th, and 
it actually handed, happened the same exact thing in the Legacy Challenge. I was 29th going into the last round. I lost my first round to Reanimator, one out, lost to Eldrazi, and then I got paired up against Esper Hate Bears in my final round and lost to that and ended up being below 32nd again. Um, so bad breakers, they happen when you lose round one. You should try not to get paired against decks that are bad matchups in round one. You should probably just try to win your round ones from here on out. Some professional advice for you. Yeah, the um, the Magic Online uh, break like tournament math when nobody can draw is just a totally different world. Uh, if you don't play on Magic Online or if you only play on Magic Online, like uh, going into those final rounds, I don't know what's happening. Like uh, playing mostly live tournaments for me, where it's like, okay, we can count on these four people to ID, and then like this could happen, and like there's going to be a pair up here, but like, nope down and dirty everyone's playing every round no scoops no ids everything's just above the board i love it i wish uh real magic worked that way too but uh it it's ruthless like when you're just like all right i'm at 11th going into this final round i i could win and like be somewhere between 8th and 20th it's just like what the hell is happening like should i just go to bed should i save this hour if i lose i'm gonna be 50th like it's insane and like, the the number of times I've like bubbled out of top eight into no cash is just like absolutely brutal. But it, I I think that they should change it to be scaling prizes because right now it's creating a lot of feel bads where there's 500 people signing up for these uh, super qualifying events. And then if you don't top 32, you get nothing. Agreed. Like, it's pretty ridiculous. Agreed. The the like the modern challenge that I played, the the one that I put like ten hours of play into and just burned out my soul. Like I was playing for top sixteen in the last round and I lost and fell into the top sixty four somewhere. So I got like half my money is back for a day's work. Like I I, I did pretty good in that tournament. Like uh, I don't know. It it just seems super stingy. Uh, like especially everyone's stuck at home. The like, things are up. Like just a sliding pay scale would be all it takes to fix this or like if min cash was at least your money back just like give me my money back it, it like the like we're gonna take half instead of all good job buddy like the, i'd rather get nothing than half my money back <laughs> i think that's pretty fair um i don't th for the reasons that phil mentioned i don't think i'm going to be able to play the super qualifier this week uh, by the time this goes live, I don't think th I think that it will have already passed. But being during a work day, I took last week off. I can't take back to back same days off just to play in a Magic Online event during the work day. I understand that I'm also playing a fast deck, but I work on the Mac side of my computer, and then you have to play on the PC side. So I'd have to be constantly rebooting every round, and it's just too much. I can't do that. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to get to play in this week's either. You know, I I can make lesson plans ahead of time, but I have, like, actual face-to-face -face meetings. No, in, I have, like, Zoom meetings and such this week that I have to attend on Thursday. Yeah, I'm I'm getting used to the, uh, like, nope, we, we don't do, have an online presence. This is all brand new to us at work, so nobody knows any sort of etiquette for it. And, like, I can get an email at, like, nine o'clock at night for a meeting at 8 a.m. And it's like, should I be checking my email all night? Should I be? But like, the answer to that is a hard no. But then on the other end, my workday would technically start at 730, which like, if I was getting myself up at my house when I have nowhere to be, 
to be at my computer checking my email at 7.30, I would have seen that email in time for that meeting. But I've been sleeping until a solid, like, 9.30, 10, like, for the last three weeks. Like, uh, I nobody knows, like, where that goes. I was also just, like, taking a little break today. I was doing, like, a quick, like, half hour worth of Borderlands during my workday. And my my team's call just started ringing. I was just, like, running through the desert on Pandora, and, like, I got a little pop-up notification. It's like, do-do-do-do, do-do-do-do, like... My my boss's boss was calling me for for a video chat, just like with no warning at all. It's like you're lucky I'm even at my computer. Let me shut this game down real quick. Jesus, is this how this is gonna work? Like, I I mean, obviously I was playing a game, so I'm like a little guilty. But like, we we don't have any. Nobody set out like code of conduct for this world, and there's no etiquette established. And it seems like anyone can email anyone at any time and expect a meeting to happen. A great piece of advice that my principal gave to our entire staff before we left was, we don't expect you to be on at all times when you are working from home. That's not realistic. You need to take breaks. You need to go to the kitchen. You need to eat. You need to take care of your kids. Do the things that you need to do. If you need to change your schedule a little bit, just like do it because this isn't anything like what you've ever done before. Yeah, def- like that's where I am. Like I, I make sure that all of my work is done every day. And I'm definitely the type of person I have been since, you know, doing homework as a child where it's like, if I don't have to do it yet, I probably won't. So like, I'm not going to get up at 730 to check my email just in case I've been invited to a meeting. And if I have to like make a PowerPoint, pre- like making YouTube videos, like instructional trainings for parents is just part of my job right now, which is cool because that's what I would do anyway. And like, I don't need to film that video during the workday. Like if I want to eat some dinner, relax, film it at 1030 at night and like that, that's more my speed. And uh, like it, it's tough for me also to control like my workday ends at 330. Do not email me. But at the same time, I'll be up at 10 recording this video because that's what I want to do. So reconciling the distant, the boundaries for the people who aren't me and my own boundaries is definitely a new exercise. I definitely felt guilty the first couple of days where I'm like, is this okay that I'm just like done? I feel like I've hit a stopping point for the day. Is it okay that I just take this half hour break in the middle of the day because I'm burnt out? And then after a couple of days of doing it, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And my average rep- response time for emails is still just absolutely insane compared to my peers. So yeah, I, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I'm definitely quicker on the the chat response than anyone else for sure. And uh, it's exactly like you said, like, I would have like a meeting from 10 to 11. And then I'd have another meeting at 1230. And I would just play like Borderlands for an hour and a half in between. I never get up. I'm still on my computer. But I just like, tab into the the meeting window off of the game window when it's time to do work and that's been working pretty well i'm into it all right so why don't we dive into the results from the last few weeks let's start with the legacy challenge from march 23rd phil why don't you take it away um so there's a couple of different things so Let's start by talking about the winning deck, which was a Bug Zenith Oko deck, which I have dubbed 2019.deck, because it contains Oko, Brazen Borrower, Gilded Goose, Ice Fang Kawaddle, Plague Engineer, Questing Beast, Uro, Astrolabe, Collector Oof, 
Uh, I thought there was one more. Force oh, of Negation. Summer. Force oh, of Negation. Force of Negation, yep. yes. And like, holy crap, it's like all the good cards just jammed into one deck. Like, it's missing maybe like Urza and Karn, but most of the rest of the stuff is in there. Can we talk about the one Arkham's Astrolabe in this deck? <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> this deck is going to be getting a lot cheaper with Modern Horizon drafts coming back to Magic Online. Right now, all the Modern Horizons cards are super expensive. Like, Force of Negation is like 80 tickets. And uh, Ice Renin 6 is like still a 50. ton, too. Yeah. Uh, Plague Engineer's about 30, if I remember correctly. But all these are going to drop at least probably about half once uh, the redrafts come out. So if you're someone looking to play a deck like Fish Duggery's first place finishing list, it will become cheaper for you. I have a $500 loan account, which Card Hoarder has given me. They've sort of sponsored my stream. And last week was one of the first times where I couldn't play the 75 that I wanted to play because the deck was too expensive. And that's counting the cards that I already own on Magic Online. I just didn't play two Force of Negations in Food Chain because the rest of the deck had maxed out my loan account. So I'm super happy about this. Yeah, the Moto economy is nuts. Uh, like... The post-arena world, where it's just like, Uro, 50 bucks, you know, $200 to get a set of that guy. Brazen Bar, or 50 bucks. Like, uh, uh, Modern Horizons, obviously, isn't on Arena, but, like, it, it is a limited print set with high-value mythics, and every single one is playable by design. So, uh, it, it's been tough to to stay relevant. Uh, like, y you know that, like, like, when Oko was just... 80 90 bucks whatever he capped out at and it was like this card's gonna get banned in three weeks but i want to play magic for the next three weeks so i have to eat this especially as a content producer or creator it's just like well people want to see oko decks i guess i'm on the hook for 400 dollars into okos right now <laughs> let's hope i can recoup some of that so if you look at the rest of the top eight from march 23rd it's almost exclusively Chalice of the Void decks, large creature decks, and then two Delver decks, one being Blue Rod. Uh, actually, no, they're both Rug Delver. So you're seeing Eldrazi, you're seeing Four Color Loam, and then you're seeing Maverick, and then like another Zenith deck. Uh, you'll notice there's no combo here, no Death and Taxes style deck. It looks like Chalice of the Void this weekend was a very good choice. So is Green Sun Zenith. Even though Four Color Loam, some of them are moving away from it for Okos and some are still playing it. It's sort of 50-50 at the moment. Uh, but the second place list is actually doing both. Phil, you're more the expert here. What do you think? Um, so as an aside, I, I played Red Prison recently. And I keep thinking, uh, this deck can't be that good right now. Oko is such a problem. And then I win like 70% of my matches anyway. Just because like the general Chalice of the Void shells are so strong. And even in this world where Oko is, like, very, very good against Chalice, it just, like, turns the Chalice into an elk and you get to start casting your cards again, I still think the Chalice decks are very strong against a lot of what the format has to offer. So I'm really not surprised to see things like Loam and Eldrazi in particular floating to the top of a lot of these events. One of the lists was actually uh, a Moon Stompy list in third place. Um, let me scroll down to that. Is that the Oklahoma again one? Yeah. Um, so I think I played something very, very close to that for my challenge. I think I replaced the Dead Gone with a fourth Pyroblast, and I otherwise played that list or something within one or two cards. 
Oh, but overall, from this list, it looks like uh, there's four Rugged Over in the top 16, three Eldrazi, and two Titans. Sampi. Uh, I, I believe Goldfish is calling it Titanic Dryad, so I started doing that in my own personal spreadsheet as well. But those seem to be the big winners. And then just a couple days later, we had the Super Qualifier, which was won by Rich Kelly on Rugged Over. So we saw Rich in the top eight of the Legacy Challenge, and then four days later, won the Super Qualifier with Rugged Over. I so I've been hearing some talk on Twitter of like people saying that Rug Delver isn't all that good, you know, maybe partially because of Oko or maybe partially because of Uro or something. And then I look at this and go like, what are you talking about? Delver's still great. Yeah, so uh, I've been playing a lot, as I mentioned online. Up until Rich's first place finish, I had faced Delver for a Rug Delver specifically four times since the breach banning. It is now the deck that I've played against the most. Uh, I've sent so basically a week, not even a full week, actually. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday night. I've now faced it 16 times. So that's 12 times in one week. Uh, Eldrazi is the deck that I faced the second most, which is 10. And then Death and Taxes, Four Color Alum, and TES are all tied at third place, which is literally half the number that I've played against Rugdelver. So its metagame shares really picked up over the last week, thanks to Rich. Yeah, if you tell Delver players that Rug Delver is playable, they're in. Like it, they're just waiting for an excuse to get on it. Like and like a lot of just like Magic players, like people who have just pushed into their house, they're branching out into formats because they have more time that they wouldn't have had three weeks ago. Like you, you tell like a, a modern player or like a pioneer player, like hey, get into Legacy, try this Rug Delver deck. There, it appeals to the playstyle of a lot of people who think they're smart whether they are or aren't like i don't want to hold judgment but like if you fancy yourself a like blue intellectual uh like this this just looks hot on paper and it it it's it is hot like it's super hot the the deck is great uh so like we talked way back at the beginning of the show about uro being bad for delver but like pyroblast that guy just like let them cast their three mana growth spiral, what the fuck ever, and then after they fill their graveyard, spew their graveyard into recurring this thing, pyroblast it. They don't draw a card, they have to refill their graveyard now. Like, Uro is not just like a four mana 6-6 six, six that takes over the game. There's a lot of work that goes into that guy. And just pyroblast, days, <laughs> force of will, you're dead. Like, Delver has the tools. And Rug Delver... It, it gets to be a Delver deck with Oko. We've been talking about like Delver decks and Oko decks. Like they're kind of two different things. Like there's the blue soup and then there's Delver. But like here's both right here in a tight little package for you. And uh, the deck is great. I also think that the sideboard for this deck is just like super, super sexy right now. It has so many slightly different overlapping. They're not necessarily haymakers, but like high impact cards. So you have like a braid and ancient grudge and oof and borrower to attack like permanents from slightly different directions. Um, and I just I feel like Rug Delver gets to improve a lot in many, many, many post sideboard games. Yes. Yeah, the, the rug color shard has some of the spiciest sideboard options that you can get. Uh, like every time I choose to play Rug Delver in a tournament. I spend like the 48 hours before the event deciding what 
which of my 77 cards I'm going to play. Like, like usually like 73 of them are locked in and then I just go deep into like my soul for the last two. And, and like it, did I say 77? I meant 73. I don't know what I said, but like 73, like I have five cards that need to go into two slots at the end of the day. And it's just like soul crushing to find those slots. Cause there's so many good sideboard cards. So second place in the event. So second place in the event was Romario Vidal with Doomsday. Uh, I don't know about the two of you, but I haven't really seen personally an uptick in Doomsday on mine. Right after the banning, I faced it twice, and then I faced it once this week. But a side tangent, my opponent spent over ten minutes resolving Doomsday. This is unacceptable. Like, do you guys remember when Top was banned, and then they cited time constraints? 10 minutes on a doomsday resolving what and then like when they like recently they talked about like a i shouldn't say recently it was like within the last year but goblin recruiter and then they once again said time constraints if time constraints are the issue why is doomsday legal like i don't even think doomsday should be banned i think that they should unban goblin recruiter but like Stacking your deck for 10 minutes? No. Like, in paper, I would have hounded them like a dog to play faster. Well, But that's not how Magic Online works. There's the twist. So, on Magic Online versus in paper, like, in paper, of course that's not going to happen. Like, Sensei's Divining Top allowed many small legal game actions to consume the clock over the course of a match. Doomsday, if if you're paper Doomsday opponents, like Dark Ritual Doomsday... And then in the tank, more than like 40 seconds, call a judge immediately. Like, even 40 seconds is generous. Like, they should know what their plan is. And, like, I'm I'm not above it. Like, I've gotten perceived game wins. I don't know if it actually mattered. But, like, against, like, a Storm player who, like, they're, like, flipping for ad nauseum. And then they go into the tank about, like, okay, should I stop? Should I start? And then I'm just, like, judge, like, mid ad nauseum. And that the judge is like okay you need to make a play and then they're like oh fine and then they like take too much damage or they stop when they're not ready or like post ad nauseum when they're holding 15 cards and trying to figure out what to do with them like you don't get more time to figure out what to do with your 15 cards than i do to resolve my brainstorm like that that's just not how paper magic is designed and if you want to like be nice or like sporting or whatever word for uh allowing your opponent to abuse the clock on you you want to use that's that's fine that's your prerogative but like it really like on magic online like we talked about this uh last week i believe where uh, it's just like the philosophical debate of is this my time i'm entitled to or do i should i respect the person on the other side but like chess clock versus shared round clock on moto versus real life totally different world and i think doomsday will be close to unplayable in real life in paper magic for that reason so it's funny you mentioned uh, our conversation about the chess clock, because in my challenge this week, I had a rugged over opponent tank on almost every single decision I made or spell I cast, and then they timed out and I had 10 minutes on the clock and they asked for a concession. Then they're like, there's no way you're going to win this. But I wasn't the one that abused the clock yep. and took all that time. Get fucked is my, is like the answer <laughs> to that. Like, <laughs> whatever, idiot. Like, you need to, like... Uh, it's the same thing in in real life like the chess clocks just take so much stress out of a match of magic like when when you are playing a game like it i wish there was a world where like you could take your game actions like you do in real life but have a chess clock 
Because, like, having to click through, like, your Bomberman combo or, like, your Urza Thopter loop or whatever, like, that's going to take time, even if you're playing, even if you're sitting there with your undivided attention on that game. Like, if I could, like, in real life, just, like, uh, I'll make a billion mana Ballista you for a billion, and in that takes one second to do in real life uh, versus, you know, the clicks on, on Moto. And I just wish there was some way to hybridize it, but... There, there isn't, unfortunately. But uh, you gotta, you gotta be firm about your clock share in real life, because people will abuse it on you, whether intentionally or otherwise. And uh, you, you just gotta, gotta get on it. When we were getting new Magic Online features this week, the Magic Online Twitter was like, "We're bringing you a feature that everyone's been asking for for a long time." And, like, what we got was, like, the ability to see that Magic Online was live from the client, and then a whole bunch of new sounds. And I'm over here going, like, yeah, but what about the infinite loops? Yeah, I'd like to what demonstrate What about some a of the cards that don't work as intended on Magic Online still? Yeah, how about, what about the ability to open a treasure chest and then put the cards that you get directly into a trade binder? Yeah, all of all those right, things. All right, let's uh, not just crap on Magic Online. I love so it. Phil, it's still one of my drugs of choice. So yeah, Magic uh, Online is they, great. Don't get me, me. wrong. Uh, don't get me wrong. But uh, the uh, I I tried to I played an insane match. Just like I was just like sitting watching TV playing Magic Online the other day, and I played an insane match. And I I wanted to film it because the this match was worth doing like a full like YouTube video on just the back and forth of this game. And I went to the replays that I didn't know were broken, but apparently everyone who plays Magic Online normally does, but I have no reason to use them. But like, I would just like click like next, next. I would get like 15 minutes into nav- navigating this game. And then suddenly like my Narset was on top of my deck and my Thoughtseize was in my opponent's hand. And I'm just like, wait, what happened? And then I, I was like, that was weird. And then I reset the client, restart my video, talk for another 15 minutes and the same shit happened. And it's like, oh, replays are just broken. I get it. I've wasted 30 minutes of my life. So that was sad. And sorry to my YouTube followers that you didn't get that sweet analysis because uh, replays don't work. Continue with the list, Bryant. Well, this next section is actually Phil's observations on Doomsday. Uh, okay. So this deck has been getting a lot of attention in the post-breach world, and some people are claiming that this might in reality be sort of like a tier one deck. Um, A lot of this came after some of Romario's success this weekend, although people had already been, you know, having some rumblings before that. Um, I'm not really sure if Doomsday is there yet, but Doomsday used to be this meme deck that was played by, like, maybe less than 10 people and the people who were into doomsday had this like crazy primer or spreadsheet or something talking about all the various lines that you had to take and now the the deck even if it isn't tier one it's it's not just a meme deck anymore like there is very much something real there i think yeah you know about the uh the steven menendian doomsday file right uh, yes, I think that's what I'm referring to without knowing the name. Yes, uh, Stephen Menendian for Vintage Doomsday. He basically made this like many, 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 many page document. It's not a literal book. He wrote a literal book about the card Gush. Like you, you can find that book somewhere and read it if you want. But 
Uh, he did the same thing for Doomsday, and it's just many, many, many pages where it's just every situation that there could be, where it's like, like it would be like, okay, uh, your Black Lotus has been exiled. You know your opponent has Flusterstorm in hand, and uh, they might also have Force of Will. It's like ten percent that they have Force of Will. Here's a paragraph what pile to make there, and like they just he just did this for every situation that could exist, and that's the, that's the type of person that used to be interested in Doomsday, and Stephen himself has said uh, in the past. Uh, I don't think it's true anymore, but at one point he said that Doomsday is the best deck and vintage but nobody can play it well enough to play it like uh, i i mentioned it last week like he was in the vintage super league in the first season like with notepad up on his screen just typing through his thought process for like eight to 12 minutes at a time and then like okay and then he would make his play but you just can't do that in real life we just talked about that a lot i'm not going to get back into it but yeah that, that's the kind of like insanity that was required to be interested in doomed his day in the past I think Doomsday was actually pretty similar to how people treated Nickfit. And I think both decks within the last year have gotten a lot of new tools, to, even to the point where like Nick, Nickfit is reasonably viable now, as long as you're not someone looking to cast nine mana dragons. Like, there's a competitive way to play Nickfit now. Uh, Neoform your uh, veteran explorer in a Snapcaster Mage, flashback your Neoform, put Leovold in a play on turn two as a 4 4 is like a very reasonable thing you can do. Plus, there's other lists now. Like, having Collector Oof as a green sun target makes your deck so much better against all the unfair decks, which is what Nick Fit struggled against. And I know we're supposed to be talking about Doomsday, but it's both decks were memes at one point. They're both now, like, reasonable, like, tier two to-ish. I don't know. They're both fine. Yeah, and, and like, uh, the big difference between the two there is that, like, Nick Fit, if Nick Fit is good, it becomes, like, a solid tier two competitor like it, it it's like occupies the same kind of space that like titan stompy or whatever does like i i, I don't want to get into the weeds of which of those decks is actually better like is it a meme to cast primeval titan it might have been up three months ago but it's not anymore but so like nick fit if it's good becomes like a solid tier two choice doomsday if it's good breaks the format so like the doomsday ceiling is so much higher like the Nick Fit nut draw of just like turn one, uh, Veteran Explorer, turn two, Therapy, Therapy, like casts a pernicious deed or whatever, like whatever it is they're doing, it's like it's not as terrifying as like Dark Ritual Kill You. That's very fair. Um, so I know we talked about it a little bit last week and how I said that I didn't think that Doomsday was as good as Blue Green Omnitel. It's not one a big event, it's one a big event. I still think what I said is true. Uh, it's not that Doomsday's bad, and I think some people took that to heart. It's a completely fine choice. I just question whether or not it does anything better than Blue Green Omni, and that's not something bad. Like, you can always play a different choice. You don't have to play the deck that might be better. You can play another choice. That is what a lot of people love about Legacy. There's still people out there that play Goblins, for example. Uh, it's not an awful choice. It's just, like, is it the best thing within that strategy you can be doing? I'm not sure. So... Not having Veil of Summer is, like, something sort of crazy right now. Uh, it's just, like, Veil of Summer is one of the most powerful things you can be doing in the format. It's a combo deck that doesn't play Veil. Uh, Blue-Green Omni gets Veil. Uh, I do think that Doomsday is also getting something that we call Brewer's Advantage, where people don't really know how to play against it yet. Uh, people are playing cards like Deafening Silence or boarding in Leyline of the Void. 
Leilani the Void does literal nothing against Doomsday. And people are just like auto-cyboarding in four. So with enough time, that will change. And the dedicated hate towards Doomsday will be more obvious and people won't be making cyboarding mistakes and things like that. I stifle your Thassa's Oracle. GG. Yeah, stifle. Wow. Up there with Carpet of Flowers in the uh, the stock market, the card stock market. The only stock market that's doing well at the moment. Like, one drops. <laughs> one drops that Blake break blue mirrors is the uh is, is what you should be investing in right now i think another dooms advantage advantage that doomsday has going for it is that it's really good or at least acceptable against a lot of commonly played hate cards so like how much does doomsday actually care about athalia all right so they like dark ritual land and cast their doomsday for four mana and then it's just like street rate street rate street rate maybe an edge of autumn kill you the next turn they usually or, play one of each by the way like that's become like the stock is like one street wraith one edge autumn but yeah yeah i i lost to a line something like that when i was playing death and taxes a week or so ago so the lists were different and probably worse then um they're starting to get a little more polished now but it's surprising how many common hate cards they can just get around yeah and because it only needs to use half of its life total, it does play Thoughtseize. It gets to play Force of Will, which a lot of combo decks do not get to do. Blue-Green Omni does, but Ant and TES do not get to play Force of Will. Romario's list has both Leyline of the Void and Terminus in the sideboard. So there are ways around that. Plus, you get to play a higher converted mana cost, which is something a lot of other combo decks don't get to do. So it does do some things differently. Uh, one of the advantages of Doomsday. But you have to find why it works for you and why it's better than another choice. And I think the easiest point of comparison here is to blue-green Omni. So you lose out on things like Veil of Summer, and you don't necessarily get to win the turn that you go off. Doomsday often ends up two-stepping it, where turn one or two might look like Dark Ritual Doomsday, and then turn two is the turn where they truly go for it and attempt to win the game. Yeah, Doomsday also uses Life Dweller as a resource. So if you're a Delver deck and you're sitting on a Lightning Bolt and you'll know you'll get an attack step, maybe that's all you need. You allow them to resolve Doomsday and then you just kill them. Uh, something Blue Green Omni doesn't have to worry about. So not using Life Total as a resource is pretty huge. It's also more difficult to play. Like, not to uh, upset Gerald James me, but it's pretty easy to cast Show and Tell. Uh, Doomsday is a little tougher to do. Especially for new people picking up the deck, you're going to have people taking 11 minutes to resolve a spell on Magic Online, or misplaying and casting the wrong, or naming the wrong card with their predict. Um, mistakes will happen. For what it's worth, I think the newer Doomsday piles are probably easier than older Doomsday piles. That's yes. the impression that I have based on the deck lists not based on actually playing any games with Doomsday. So, like, take that with a grain of salt, but it looks easier than it used to be. Yeah, like... I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, Thassa's Oracle was a, a big game-changer for that. Like, you don't have to Doomsday and then generate 10 Storm also. Like, you just have to cast this creature. Though, I, I'm fairly confident this deck is just dead if Thassa's Oracle gets removed in some fashion. Like... If it gets, like, Jester's capped, or, like, if it's milled somehow, or, like, Thoughtseize, Surgical, like, I, I'm pretty sure the deck just can't beat that. 
So I've noticed something a little weird. Some people are trying to cheat and only play one Thassa's Oracle. Um, and then they'll cast Doomsday, like, trying to get concessions if, it, like, they pitch it to force. I think you almost have to play two. But the downside of playing two is that it gets a lot worse if you're playing uh, Divining Witch, I believe it's called. Because you want to name your Oracle and then mill your deck. But if you're playing two of them, you actually have to mill your deck twice in case you hit it the first time. Which can be a little awkward. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, that playing one, at least in the main deck, I, I guess uh, the the sideboard of this winning list has two mentors in it, so that makes sense. <laughs> they like basically board into miracles. There's counterbalance, monastery mentor, terminus, like literal miracles out of the sideboard, uh, which which is another thing that blue green omnitel can't do. Like you don't get to pivot into a control deck where you need to be one. So uh, th- that's a little little spice. They have these Teferi Time Ravelers in the main anyway. It's just an Astrolabe control deck. So uh, I this, this is a big brain deck. Like uh, Bryant was talking about big brain just for like resolving the Doomsday. But then how do you sideboard? When your sideboard is just like literally a blue control deck, like how, how skinny do you go on the combo? Is it just out? Are you miracles now? Do you still keep in like two Doomsdays and the Oracle? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like what do your piles look like post board? So th- this is going to be a very hard deck to play. And uh, uh, I'm just going to reiterate, I-, I don't know who is going to be big brain enough or who's going to do enough work to actually play this in paper proficiently. All right. So Phil was pretty shocked about an event that happened in Japan. The God of Legacy by Herrera, or Haruya, however you say it. I don't know. I can't talk. But it was we a know. paper event. And uh, yeah, so apparently Japan is done with the coronavirus. They don't have to worry about it anymore. But Phil was really excited because Aluren won the event while playing Oko Thief of Crowns. And Uro. We can't forget that either. Well, Uro works incredibly well with Cavern Harpy. It both draws a card and gains life. Yeah, That's it's everything so disgusting. Want. Yeah, that that is a sick one. Like, uh... I have not broken down this list in my brain yet, but yeah, Uro plus Cavern Heartbeat plus Alaren is GG. You just draw your deck, gain two life every time you iterate. Like, that's pretty gross. No more Parasitic Strix? Not needed. Yeah. Uh, It's still in there, but... Yeah, you do still need it to win the game. I mean, most of the time, that many cards and that much life effectively wins it anyway. I mean... I guess you don't always want to give them another turn. Yeah, like, the deck doesn't really have a backup plan. Like, do you just, like, gain all that life, draw all those cards, and then pass with Uro in play and seven cards in hand? Like, I I would rather just, just for for one deck building slot, like, put the Strix in there, get the game over. I'm just wondering if there's a better win condition you could play. Something that isn't so uh, bad on its own. Uh, Rashadden... Cut Purse is a card that Aluren has played in the past. It, it, it's in the uh, the Pirate Stompy uh, cycle. It's the common. Like, when it arrives, I, I think it's a two or three drop. When it arrives, your opponent pays one or sacks a permanent. So, like, you can just, like, you can loop that instead and just, like, leave them with nothing and pass with, like, lethal attackers and a handful of Force of Wills. Uh, but, like, is that card better than Parasitic Strix on its face? It's unclear. I just so, wonder if, like, through Power Creep, if there's, a, like, a reasonable card they could play on their own that isn't so bad. So let me tell you about Aluren players. Uh, they're a lot like Doomsday players, but 
Not as crazy because the deck's not as hard to play, but every set, like the way that you do for the Epic Storm of just like, oh, is that card playable? I'll try it. Uh, I'll put it on the list. Alern players are doing that too. And if a, a three drop or less was printed that killed the opponent more efficiently than Parasitic Strix, they'd know about it. Okay, that's very fair. To be fair, the Alluren players have also gotten a lot of new toys. Like, looking at this deck list, they've gotten Brazen Borrower, Gilded Goose, Ice Fang, Coatl, Uro, Oko, uh, Force of Negation, Plague Engineer. What the heck is that Thassa Deep Dwelling? Uh, that's the uh, the Blinky Thassa. Oh. Yeah, that that's the new one. That's got to be a sideboard plan. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, that's in the sideboard. All right, I learned about a new magic card today. What I can't believe is that this event got 146 players during a pandemic. I have thoughts about that that I'll probably just save for myself because I'm sure this podcast is already running long, but we're not nearly done talking. Yeah, Buckle like, up. Uh, I, yeah, eternal. But yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so like I, I don't know the state of things in Japan. I don't want to be a complete savage uh, on a uh, a country and government that I, I know little about. I mean, they are a small island, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I struggle to believe a 146-player paper magic event was responsible in today's world, but I hope that it was, and good job for running this if it was safe, and shame on you if it was not safe. If you're into spicy deck lists, there is like a, like, super spicy, all the chili pepper deck list that got third or fourth in this event. That's like a mono black storm reanimator um, that was called Grizzle Shoot somewhere that plays Magus of the Will, Shallow Grave, as well as... Uh, Isn't this burial... just Tin Fins? No, it's not Tin Fins, because it's missing the Children of Corliss package. Okay, it has three Grave Titans in the main instead. Yeah, and Lake of the Dead. So that But don't can, forget uh... that the oh, no. version with Magus of the Desire is not Tin Fins, it's Bizarro Stormy, where all three Tin Fins players on the internet will attack you on Twitter. Listen, correct. Let, let, me, let me tell you my uh, experience with Tin Fins. Uh, so, we have a local guy, his name is Cameron, and... He either plays Grixis Dakfaden, Tesserator, or Tinfins. Like, two decks on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And when you sit down, it's impossible to keep a hand. Because it's just like, well, do I want these three Force of Wills? Or do I want zero Force of Wills? And you never know. Is Wasteland going to be unbeatable or complete trash? And uh, he's done a good job uh metagaming all of us for a person who only owns two decks so good job cameron and i lose a lot because i keep hands that are good against tesserator i had a local player in roanoke he was uh, one of my roommates for a while who would go back and forth between playing miracles and tin fins and that similarly got people real good so i think it's like kind of a shame that magus of the will cost both three to cast and three to activate they could have made that because you have to wait a turn in order to activate it. They could have reduced the cost on like six mana is a lot and a turn. Yeah, it should cost zero. That's zero totally mana, safe. Zero mana three three with uh, two black tap <laughs> cast Yogwill. Exactly. That, that, I, I would put that deck in or put that card in a lot of decks. 
it's still seeing legacy play though. So like, here we are, even though like its stats aren't maybe the greatest, it's, it made it. And 146 players is nothing to sneeze at. Like that's a, that's a good size to ban. Yeah. Well, I mean, your plan is not to cast this thing. It's to shallow grave it and go, go around again. So uh, I, I, I imagine someone somewhere has won a game where they cast like, they got like force of will thoughts eased and then they're just like, okay, Magus go. And then one on the following turn. It's sort of interesting if you look at the rest of the deck list. Bug Control, Death and Taxes, Dragon Stompy, Eldrazi, Painter, and then there's an Omni Show in there. Like these are all decks that we've talked about over the last like hour or so. If you look at them, they're all bigger decks or prison-esque decks. You're not seeing a lot of like I guess you're not seeing traditional legacy decks in here. Like we haven't said the word Stoneblade once tonight. Uh, you're seeing a lot of decks that go large here. Phil, as the person that plays these sort of decks, why is that? So a lot of the format right now is based around three mana cards, like Oko and Uro being really important ones, but to a lesser extent, things like Knight of the Reliquary are also super important as well. Um, Blood Moon, Magus of the Moon, you know, lots of things of that nature or things that are kind of being cast at what would be three mana in other decks, like Thought Not Seers. And the ability to go above what a lot of other decks are doing is really valuable right now. So the ability to just make something like Olamog the Ceaseless Hunger that these decks have a lot of trouble answering, or do something on cast, or the ability to go wider than someone by playing something like Aluren is, I think, pretty valuable right now. And a lot of these decks that are doing these, like, go real big things are also supplemented by things like Chalice of the Void, which means you're not just folding to all of the combo decks. So there's another point that you uh, subtly mentioned there, and that's the uh, resurgence of Abrupt Decay coming back because all these three mana cards. That's why you're seeing Aluren and Bug Control in that Bug Zenith deck. Abrupt Decay is probably the best it's been and since the Miracles era. I don't know if anyone here would disagree with me, but like to me, it seems like this is a peak time. And it's like during the heyday of Veil of Summer. That's how good Abrupt Decay is right now, is that when Veil of Summer is everywhere, people still are finding room in their deck for Abrupt Decays because it's just so good against everything else. Yep. I have nothing to add. I've yeah, been super Abrupt impressed Decay by that card. Yeah, when I when I played the uh, the Titan Stompy deck when when it was like first out, I the whole my whole experience like my big criticism was like this deck doesn't do anything except cast Chalice and then cast Titan like it needs something in between and now four Abrupt Decay just seems to be stock and uh, the people who kept working on the deck after that point figured it out too and yeah Abrupt Decay is just excellent right now. So I think that's kind of all that we want to say about the Japanese event. So we have one more Moto Legacy Challenge, um, and that was from 3.30. That was taken down by a four-color Delver list. Um, I didn't particularly find that all that interesting, but I think there's two super notable things from the event. Number one is the fifth-place Delver deck list. It's a blue-red Delver deck list that features accumulated knowledge. Which kind of blew my mind. Well, Tony Scaponi's a madman. Like, I don't think... Like, Tony Scaponi will play Counterbalance and Stifle in the same list. Like, this person likes to do their own thing, and Legacy's full of people like that. So, 
while like AK in your Delver deck is spicy and it gives you a long game, and that's what a lot of legacies become recently, I wouldn't put too much stock in this. Like you'll notice there's also Aria Flames in the sideboard. And then then the seventh place Delver deck looks almost exactly like what uh what's their name? H. A. Kaiser won previously with where it's a grixis delver list that just goes bigger against other big decks with painful truths and uh like bedlam revelers and dread hordes so we're seeing a little bit of a throwback here i would definitely rather have painful truth in my sideboard than ak in the main deck of my delver deck like for sure and and like the the slots to make room for these ak's in this delver list there's one dread horde arcanist in this deck there's a one true name nemesis like the the threats have gotten pretty wonky. Like, you know, like Dreadhorde Arcanist plus Ponder draws as many cards as your first two AKs. Like and the selection built in, like, might just be better. So I I'm not I'm not sold on this package, but it is certainly spicy. I'm more scared of Dreadhorde Arcanist than most cards in Legacy. Like, I know Oko, Uro are getting a lot of the attention right now, but every time Arcanist hits play on turn two, I'm I'm just secretly going like, oh god, if I just lost, like, if they have a counterspell, can I possibly come back from this? Um, that card's so impressive. Yeah, that that is the the snowballiest, like, I, that card might be more snowbally than Oko, which is a bold statement, because Oko is the king of snowballs, but if they had a snowball fight, I think Arcanist might win it. Though, Oko does have the secret technology of turning his opponent's, uh, his his snowball enemy into an elk. So, I guess Oko would win heads up, but, like, if my opponent was going to resolve one or the other uncontested, I, I feel like I would have more game against an Oko a lot of the time. I don't know. It, Arcanist is definitely a 2019 magic card with the best of them. So, if you look at the second place list here, it's Titan. And you'll notice that they are not playing Trinisphere or Mindbreak Trap in the board. That's interesting to me as a combo player. Their list is ultra fair. And I think that's pretty interesting. They're even playing a Corsair of Crufix as a fifth copy of Dryad, essentially. And it's just a lot of two fours in this Delver world that we live in where Lightning Bolt is king. So I find that to be like pretty interesting. And other than that, you'll notice there's even more Eldrazi in the top 8 and 16 of this event. Eldrazi right now, if you look on Goldfish, is actually the deck that's in first for uh, metagame share. And I think it's like gone underneath the radar a little bit. And Eldrazi seems to be back. They haven't really gotten that many tools outside of Once Upon a Time. Maybe that was just the added push it needed to be a little bit more consistent. Pair that with Elvish Spirit Guide instead of Simeon Spirit Guide and they have a real deck now. Maybe that's all they needed. So the Once Upon a Times make your first three-ish turns significantly more consistent and against a lot of decks that's what really matters is just like being able to somewhat consistently go turn one mimic turn two thought not seer turn three some other follow-up play you know hopefully reality smasher if things are going really well and most decks just can't beat that while i'll say this good i wish that the mishra's factories in the list were something like um What's it called? The Grassland Painland? Brushland. Brushland. Because then you could hardcast your Once Upon a Times, and I think you could even hardcast your Spirit Guides in a pinch, which is something that deck has to do sometimes. 
And I think that being able to hard cast your spirit guides would effectively be the same as Mistress Factories most of the time. I don't know. It's just like against me and matches that I watch, Mistress Factory is often not that great anyway. So I'd rather have more consistency with the cards that I'm already splashing for. So the difference between having, like, let's say three green sources in your deck and zero green sources in your deck, well, like, outside of the spirit guides, is relatively small. So I had that same thought when I first saw the deck list, and I think I made the same swap. The The list that I started with might have been playing Caracas or something like that instead. And then I realized that most of the time I couldn't line up those cards at the same time since I have, like, literally zero card draw or manipulation in the deck outside of Matter Reshaper dying and the Once Upon a Times in the first place. So, like, I agree with you in theory, but in practice it just, like, mathematically wasn't working out a lot of the time. Yeah, I would agree. Like, for, as someone who has uh, Terminus and Supreme Verdicted a lot of Eldrazi players, uh, the fact that they get to just use extra mana in that mid-game situation to plunk me for two or four is is probably better than, like, casting Once Upon a Time. Because if we settle into that game, like, if you commit to trying to out-cantrip the blue deck in a mid-game situation, you're going to lose. But if you just, like, keep your velocity, pedal to the metal, like, get in with your lands... Uh, I, that's probably better. And just talking about another deck that's been really popular here, the Titan Stompy deck also put up three results in the top 16 here. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, when I first saw the Titan deck, I was really excited because I thought I had another meme deck list to play. And then it was like, there's a result. There's three results. There's three more results. Um, so there might actually be something real to this shell, and it might actually be a real contender. I don't know if that's true long-term, but at least in the short-term, um, I think this is a deck that should be on your radar. So, speaking... We, we've talked about everything except this fourth-place deck. Have you seen this deck? By Novat28, four Karn the Great Creator, three Oko Thief of Crowns, two Brazen Borrower, four Emery Lurker of the Lock, two Uro, three Urza. Oh my god. Like... I, I think your uh, your title of 2019.deck was granted a little early in the cast. Like, look at this thing. Uh, yeah, this is this is a hot little pile. There's a Simic Signet in this Legacy deck that top forward the challenge. Um, I like how you left out Forcible and Chalice of the Void like they weren't worth mentioning. Well, they're not from 2019. <laughs> I was just reading cards from 2019. But uh, yeah, Force of Will and Chalice of the Void. So that's like the, the real Legacy plan here. Uh, like, that... So it's a Stompy deck that gets Force of Will, and that's bananas. Like, uh, I, I'm really into this list. Uh, I, I'm seeing it for the first time as I, I scroll through the list to talk about it here, and I have already saved it to my computer to play it in the future. Like this, this, this is my jam. The, wow. the average card quality of this deck is absolutely absurd. Yeah, there's like Simic Signet, and then all tens. Just 10 out of 10, plus Simic Signet. The Simic, Simic Signet probably, like, is totally good in this shell, though, since you have so many different mana requirements. Like, you have the green-blue of, of Uro and Oko, while you also have, like, four mana for Karn, blue-black for Baleful Strix. Like, it's, it's probably fine to good. I don't know what your other mana rock options are, but uh, I, I mean, if we if we walk it back to uh, my dude Cameron, who I mentioned earlier with his Tesserator for life, except when I'm on Tinfin's lifestyle, uh, Talisman of Dominance 
uh, is a card that I've seen cast in Legacy a lot. And there is now the Talisman cycle is the full 10 combo colors after Modern Horizon, right? So like, uh, there's got to be a blue green Talisman. Is that better than Signet? Like Signet's a little awkward to get online, but once it's online, it's less painful. So uh, Signet might actually be better if you don't. I guess the appeal of Talisman over Signet would be if you're like turn one ancient tomb this artifact and then do something with your one mana which this right so like talisman could cast emery but signet will save you a lot of damage as the game goes on so uh, i don't know uh that's one of those deck building decisions that will exist for someone who wants to put some work into this deck it might be me spoilers <laughs> i'll look forward to that video so, uh, as far as the Titan Stompy deck, I, I think that deck is good, but I think it is still in the process of evolution. So, between the time that the last episode was recorded and this one, Abrupt Decay in the main deck has become much more common, and you're starting to see people mess around with things like mock, the number of Mox Diamonds that are in the deck. Um, I think the deck started out with four Raymond Excavators, and some of the lists that I'm seeing now only play like one of them. Um, I've seen all sorts of crazy things in leagues. I've seen Titania main deck. I've seen Castle Garen Brig main deck. And I've seen Twitter screenshots where people are trying to like jam Uro and Oko into that shell while keeping the rest of it intact. From a combo perspective, it can certainly be pretty scary. I face lists with, obviously they all play Chalice main deck, but then there's lists that play Trinisphere with no Mindbreak in the board. And then there's lists that play Mindbreak Trap and Force of Vigor in the board. They all tend to play Leyline of the Void. Like, it's pretty scary for a combo deck because all of these cards are haymakers against combo. But at the same time, they beat a lot of the fair decks by going larger. And if you're able to do both, that's a dangerous combo in Legacy. So that's one thing that sort of concerns me about the second place list is that I feel like compared to most lists that I've seen recently, they're actually a little bit light. They only have the four Chalice in the main and then four Leyline in the board. They're not playing Trinisphere, they're not playing Mindbrack, no Force of Vigor. Yeah, um, it kind of feels like that's like the result of, like, I don't want to say inbred metagaming, but kind of something of that nature, where this deck list is very much gearing to fight the fair fight, um, and Thrasco Golgari Queen is a great example of that, where like that exists to minus and abrupt decay something like an Oko, and then live to fight another day. Um, but yeah, as a whole, I, I agree that this deck list definitely feels a little bit light in terms of, of combo hate. I wouldn't be super comfortable registering that exact 75 for an event like next weekend, for example. Yeah, so like this, uh, I wouldn't call it inbred metagaming as much as just metagaming. Uh, like, I think this is just a classic example of like, I, I I'm, don't think I'm going to play against Storm. And if I do, like, you can either punt the matchup or you do still have uh, Oof, Chalice, and Leyline and just hope it works. So uh, we talked about this uh, in the last cast, I believe, where uh, we were talking about, like, uh, do is it worth sideboarding for Storm in paper events? Like, if you're, if you're a huge dog and it would take a large sideboard commitment and there's, like, 10 good Storm players on the planet, like, is it worth doing? Obviously, on Magic Online, uh, 
where Storm is huge. Uh, I'm not comfortable with this list, but I think this is a pretty smart list. Uh, I would be comfortable in a paper tournament with this. I would not take it into a moto challenge, though. So, uh, this, I think this, this was an awesome deck for a specific tournament. Yes, the tournament where you dodge Storm. If I could not get Black Red Reanimator in round one. But uh, one thing that I'd like to point out is like I listed all those cards. I didn't mention Oof. I didn't mention Abrupt Decay, and I didn't mention Wasteland. So those are other edges this deck does have. It's just that those cards are mostly less effective other than Oof, which it can be a haymaker, but it's pretty bad against the other version of Storm, which doesn't necessarily need its artifacts as much. Yeah, but it needs its graveyard a lot more. So uh, th there's like pressure points in both directions. This is not pants down. It's just it, it doesn't have any like bangers like Trinosphere. And when everything else just goes south, Field of the Dead can just save your ass. Like, I've gone from thinking, all right, I have this game locked down, to then there were suddenly eight zombies in play. And I just didn't know what happened. All right, so it seems like we're winding down here. Anyone have any final thoughts? Magic's great. A lot of people are still kind of focusing on ban Oko, ban Vero, ban Astrolabe. But I think we have a super dynamic and interesting format that is super cool if you are a brewer right now. Um, there's a lot of exploration going on, and I've been having a blast. Yeah, I do, th I do think we're bumping into the kind of like grumpy old man mentality that the vintage community is prone to, where it's like, this isn't how it was when I remember. Like, so it's bad, even though it's actually fine in reality. So, like, the, the pe like. The numbers on Oko are like, like I know Bob Wong posts his like stats about uh, like the number of decks Oko is in. And like, I even got into that conversation because he like had like the percentage of decks likely to play Oko that are playing Oko. And then I was like, what about the stats on the decks unlikely to play Oko, like elves or goblins, because Oko is showing up in those decks too. Like sometimes as a meme, but sometimes as actually good. And, but like, what were the stats on Jace the Mind Sculptor in blue decks for the last decade? Like, I, are we just in a shift where three man is the new four, or is this actually unhealthy? And I, I don't think we're at a point where calling for bans is the answer to that question. Preach. Yep. I mean, I hate playing against Oko a lot of the time, but I am not pro Oko ban at this time, despite the horrible, awful things it does to all of my hate bears. Right. So, like, the, the, talking about like what is bannable versus what you personally don't like it is a totally different conversation and like breach was bannable like the 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 sh absolute shit stomping that breach put on this format for the time it existed versus like ah this three mana sorcery speed kind of powerful thing bummer now i'm gonna have to slog through this game and make lots of small decisions or just combo over the top if you're Bryant Cook. Like, there, there's responses to these things that, like, play Pyroblast, play Tendrils of Agony, like, play Oko of your own and learn how to do combat math. Like, there, there's a lot of play to the card Oko. And uh, I think it's just different than Legacy was two years ago, but I'm not convinced it's broken. I am so mad at Phil for opening up a can of worms when we were trying to close this out. <laughs> Eternal glory! Eternal glory! <laughs>
All right. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. This was episode 20 of the Eternal Glory podcast. Make sure to check out Brian's YouTube comment at Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Phil's at Thraben University, and mine at MTG The Epic Storm. Stay healthy and uh, don't get corona. <laughs> <laughs>